Let's pray. Lord, we pray this morning that you would open our eyes, that we would see wonderful things in your word. Amen. Well, what do you think of when you hear the word desolation? I think of Chernobyl. Just before I was born, uh, the number four reactor at a nuclear power plant melted down and exploded. It was so radioactive and so dangerous that nobody could live near it. 350,000 people had to suddenly get up, leave their homes, their belongings, their cars, their houses, and leave forever to go and live somewhere new. And the towns and the cities they left behind, if you've seen the pictures today, the playgrounds, the apartments, the streets, the parks, the shops, desolate, empty, forsaken. You can see photos these days where slowly, slowly, you know, trees and weeds and wolves and wildlife have overtaken what was once a busy, bustling place full of life. And it's kind of eerie, isn't it? If you've seen those photos, you know what I mean? It's kind of eerie to look at a place that was once so alive and full and is now so empty and desolate. But when our man Daniel thought about desolation, he didn't think of Chernobyl. He thought of his home, Jerusalem. He thought of the city that he had loved, that he had grown up in, that he had been pulled out of against his will. The city that was once the greatest city in the world. Because in all of the world, this was the only city where God had chosen to come and live with his people. This was in all the world the only city where God's temple was, where sacrifices were made so that God's people could have their sin forgiven and they could have fellowship and communion with God. Jerusalem was the one city that God had chosen in all the world to be his special place where his special people could live with him and receive his blessing. And now, because God's people had rejected God, because they had sinned and God had had to punish them, because time and time and time again they ignored him, they killed his messages, they rejected him, they turned to fake gods instead of the true and living God. God had sent them away and now the city was desolate. Daniel, a teenager at the time, had probably watched the flames as the Babylonians led him away in chains, never to return again. The flames that destroyed not just the city, but also the temple of God. But suddenly, in this year, this first year of Darius, the son of Xerxes, something changed. And what changed was that 
Babylon suddenly disappeared off the map. People literally went to sleep one night in 539 BC with Babylon and Belshazzar as the empire that they were part of. And when they woke up the next morning, Babylon was no more. In a single night, just as God had promised, the Persians and the Medes had snuck in and they had murdered not only the king of Babylon, but all of his leaders and officials in one go. Now, can you imagine... Can you imagine that happening? Can you imagine if our parliament was sitting and in one night every single politician was dead and we had a new ruler, a new leader, a new empire, the flag went down, the name Australia was crossed out and we had a new nation. And in this confusion, Daniel must have been wondering, well, what happens next? You'd be wondering that, wouldn't you? Well, what happens next? So what does Daniel... Now, remember who Daniel is. Remember, Daniel is the one who interprets dreams. Remember, Daniel is the prophet who God speaks to and and sends visions of what God is going to do. What does Daniel do when Babylon has fallen and this new empire has arrived? Well, he gets out his Bible. Have a look at verses 1 and 2. In the first year of Darius the Mede, I, Daniel, understood from the Scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. See, Daniel, the interpreter of dreams, the prophet who receives visions from God, he knows that the ordinary guaranteed way that he will hear God's word is by turning to the scriptures. See, he knows that the scriptures reveal God's plan. The scriptures are where God gives us understanding so that we can look at this world and understand what it all means. See, Daniel knows it would be foolish for him to just sit there and wait for God to send him a prophetic word because he's got God's prophetic word sitting right there on his desk, ready to be opened. I just want to hit pause for a second there. and If you're someone, and maybe you've done this, I think probably any Christian has done this at some point, maybe you're doing this at the moment. If you're someone who is waiting for God to speak to you. You're waiting for a word from God. You're waiting for God to come and tell you an answer to your prayers. And you're not actively opening your Bible and reading it regularly. It's a little bit like sitting on the world's richest diamond mine. You're literally sitting on top of this huge mine full of diamonds with your pick sitting on your lap and yet you have never used that pick and you're waiting for someone to come along and toss you some change. See, God has given us the Bible. He has given us right here his word. 
so that we can know him, so that we can understand the world going on, so that we can have hope by knowing his incredible promises. And if we are not opening this up and going to his word for that hope, that understanding, for his word in the Bible, it's like we're sitting around on a diamond mine and never, ever getting into it. Well, maybe, maybe you're someone who, when things trouble you in this world and you're trying to make sense of what's going on, maybe your first reaction is to jump to the news or to YouTube or to your peers or your psychologist and, and those things have a place. Those things are good. But those things can never give us hope. They can never give us God's perspective on this world. They can never help us truly make sense of ourselves or the world we live in. The Bible is an endless mine full of diamonds and gold and rubies and silver and every kind of treasure. Friends, get your pick out and start digging. Daniel goes to the Bible. And what does he find there? Surprise, surprise, he finds exactly what he needed. He finds a promise that gives hope. Could Jerusalem be at the end of its desolation, he thinks? I understood from the scriptures, verse 2, according to the word of God given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years could now be the time to return. Well, let's have a little look back at Jeremiah and see what he read. Jeremiah 25. God had promised way before they went, this whole country, Jerusalem, Judea, will become a desolate wasteland and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. But when the 70 years are fulfilled, are finished, I will punish the king of Babylon and his nation for their guilt. I will make it desolate forever. And again, in Jeremiah 29, this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and you will find me when you seek me with your whole heart. And I will bring you back from captivity. Now, if you're Daniel, can you read anything more wonderful than those verses at that moment? In other words, God is saying, Jerusalem will be empty and desolate for 70 years, but I will bring you back. Call on me and I will listen. So kids, what do you think Daniel does next? Yes. He waits on God, kind of. He's been waiting. He calls on God. 
He calls on him. He prays in a repentant request. Now, this is an incredible prayer. Uh, I really want to encourage you, go home today, open your Bible to Daniel chapter 9, get out this prayer and turn it into your prayer to God. We're going to skim through it really quickly, but I'm just going to notice three things as we go through. The first is that Daniel praises God for God's goodness and righteousness. Verse 4. Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Verse 7. Lord, you are righteous. Verse 9. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving. Verse 14, the Lord did not hesitate to bring this disaster on us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does. Now, do your prayers sound like this? Do my prayers sound like this? Because I think how we speak about God when we pray actually really reveals something true about our knowledge of God, about our relationship with him and how well we truly know him or don't, as the case may be. When you pray, is God just dear God? Because if God is just dear God, then we have to ask the question, well, how well do I really know this God I'm praying to, if at all? Because God is so much bigger and more wonderful than dear God. He is the righteous one, the merciful and forgiving one, the great and awesome God, the Lord of heaven's armies, the creator, the father of all mankind. He is the God who saves. And we could go on and on and on. The patient, kind, forgiving, loving, gracious, merciful, compassionate, mighty, powerful, ever faithful, ever true, ever wonderful, ever living God. Now, I love the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us how to pray. And remember how he starts the Lord's Prayer. Kids, does anyone know how Jesus starts the Lord's Prayer? Our, Micah? Father in heaven. Yes. And what's the next little bit? Hallowed be your name. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, honoured, revered, awesome is your name. Now, often when I try and pray the Lord's Prayer, I often actually don't get past here. Because as I work through our Father in heaven and I think about what that means, that God is our loving heavenly Father who's adopted us to be his children. And I think awesome is your name. I think, and I stop and I think about how awesome God is. And often I get stuck there and my prayer doesn't get much further than just reflecting on how great and awesome our God is. Friends, I want to encourage you today Take Daniel's prayer home. Make this your prayer. And as you pray, 
stop and reflect on how awesome and wonderful and good and righteous our God is and praise him for it. First, Daniel praises God for his goodness and righteousness. Second, Daniel confesses both his sin and the sin of his nation. Have a look at verse 5. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. Verse 6, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes and our ancestors and to all the people of the land. Verse 7, we are covered in shame because of our unfaithfulness to you. Verse 11, we have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us. All Israel, all, all of us, have transgressed, have broken your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. And verse 13, even when you brought this disaster upon us that we deserved, verse 13, even then, we did not seek your favour by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. Now, how much time do you, do I, daily, weekly, regularly, spend in confession to God? You know, if I'm honest, I think a lot of my prayers are, you know, those little shoot-up prayers during the day, a lot of them are asking God for stuff. And I think it's easy for us to fall into that default. But how much time do we spend just stopping before God, just like Jesus told us to, and confessing our sin to him, acknowledging that we have turned from him, and that even when our sin has come back to bite us with its consequences, even then we haven't humbled ourselves and turned to God and sought his mercy and forgiveness. And I wonder, I think these two things are linked to our earlier point about hearing God's word because because the more time we spend in the Bible, the more God's spirit working through the Bible forces us to our knees as the Bible reveals our sin to us. Because the Bible is the spirit's scalpel that does surgery on our hearts and shows us the guilt within. And so as we spend time prayerfully reading God's word, we end up on our knees confessing our sin before a mighty God. This is no half-baked apology here. Now, we all know the fake apology, don't we? The kind of politician's apology. We're all probably guilty of the fake apology, yeah? yeah? Who's guilty of a fake apology? Yeah, I think we all are. You know, that apology that only admits to, like, a little bit of the crime, you know, when you've done all this, but you say, oh, yeah, I'm sorry for this. Forget about the rest. The apology that kind of makes it out like it's actually somebody's fault. Oh, look, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry that... I was on my phone and crashed into your car at the lights, but actually it was, it was because someone else was going through something really hard and they called me, you know, like that kind of apology that tries to point the blame at someone else. 
or the apology that tries to explain and excuse the behaviour. Oh, look, I'm sorry, but I was in this situation and really there was nothing else I could do. We're all guilty, right? They're not real apologies, are they? But this apology that Daniel makes is not one of those. He openly, honestly, truly confesses. And we ought to too. Daily, regularly. Daniel points to the righteousness and goodness of God and he confesses their sin. And lastly, Daniel calls on God for forgiveness. Have a look there with me at verse 9. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we've rebelled against him. Verse 16, Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Verse 18, give ear, our God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We don't make requests because of you, because we're righteous, but because of your great mercy. Verse 19, Lord, listen. Lord, forgive. Lord, hear and act. For your sake, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. Now, maybe you are aware of your sin. Maybe you're fully aware of the ways that you have disobeyed God, the ways that you have rejected him. But maybe you feel that you cannot ask God for forgiveness because he won't give it. Maybe you have not confessed and not asked God for forgiveness because you don't believe that he'll actually forgive you. Friend, if you feel like that, you don't actually know what, who God is and what he is like. See, it does not matter what you have done. It does not matter what you have failed to do. It doesn't even matter how many times you've done it over and over and over again. It doesn't even matter how much damage your sin has caused in your life and the lives of the people around you. It doesn't even matter how many people you've hurt or how many of his laws you've broken. Believe me, we have all broken all of them. It doesn't matter because actually God sees your sin more clearly than you ever will. He sees sins that you're not even aware that you are guilty of. He sees sin that you've forgotten and conveniently tucked away, never to remember. He sees your sin for as ugly as it actually is when we see it through rose-coloured glasses where it's not all that bad. He sees the effects of our sin that we will never see as it ripples out into the world. But God is the God of great mercy. 
If you have not come to God for forgiveness, friend, I want to say to you, God is far more merciful, far more wonderful, far more gracious, far more good, far more forgiving than you could ever imagine. He will not turn you away. He will not refuse you forgiveness when you come to him and ask it. Actually, as Daniel found out, and as we're going to find out, God's mercy is so much more and his forgiveness is so much more wonderful than Daniel could have ever wished for. Have a look at verse 21. While Daniel was still speaking, still praying, still on his knees, still confessing, God sent an immediate reply. Verse 22, to give Daniel insight and understanding. Now, I need a child. Let me see. Here we go. go. All right, let's see, let's see, let's see. I'm going to pick up... Sam, this is your first time here, so come on down. Come on down, Sam. Everybody, this is Sam. Give Sam a warm round of applause. Welcome, Sam. Now, um, I have here with me... Where did it go? I just lost it. Oh, I have here with me an M&M. Now, uh, I'm going to set this timer. Do you reckon that's about 70 seconds? You hold that timer. Yeah, hold it so everyone can see. Daniel, uh, Sam, in 70 seconds, you can have this chocolate, okay? This M&M, all right? Good? All right, no worries. Well, God had promised Israel that after 70 years, Israel would return to Jerusalem, back to Palestine, where they would rebuild the city and the temple. Daniel read this promise and he prayed and he pleaded with God to forgive them and keep his promise. And then God's reply came. God's reply said, I will keep my promise. You will go home after the 70 years. Actually, it was this very year, this same year, later in that year, that that king, Darius, whose name is also Cyrus, would allow the Jews to return to Jerusalem and rebuild the temple. That very year they would go back. But God's plan hadn't finished at the end of 70 years. God's plan was so much bigger. Daniel was thinking, one M&M. But God's plan was to give Daniel a whole bucket. Daniel was thinking 70, but God was thinking 70 times 7. Daniel was thinking forgiveness of sin, and God was thinking putting an end to sin once and for all time. I didn't even hear that timer go off. There you go. You get a bonus. Good one, Sam. Thanks very much. Everyone give Sam a round of applause. You can take your seat. Thanks, mate. (laughs) Have a look at verse 24. Seventy sevens. 
not 70, 70 times 7 is decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision and prophecy and to anoint the most holy place. Now, some of you might have some questions starting to fire off in your mind at this moment. This second part of Daniel is actually one of the trickiest and most sort of debated parts of the entire Bible. Good way to start back this week. And the reason for that is a lot of people get caught up on the numbers. A lot of people try and add the numbers together and figure out what parts of history each of these parts line up with. Well, 70 times 7, that's 490 years, and you can see on the back of your, your, back of your thing there, there's a little bit of a table, and they try and figure, and then, and then further here, Gabriel breaks it up into, you know, 7 times 7 years, that's 49 years, and then 62 times 7, and then another 7 at the very end, and, and people try and add these up, and, and, and then they try and figure, well, when does it start? Does it start, is there, you know, you can see there the 70 years, is there a gap before this 70 times 7 starts or do they start straight away or, or actually is the start of the 70 the start of the se- And people pick all these different things in history and go, well, that must be that and that must be that and that must, but do you see that actually that's not how it's supposed to work? See, numbers aren't always designed to be added up and counted, We often use numbers in different and symbolic ways, don't we? I can think of a few. I'll be back in a minute. Do I mean I'll be back in 60 seconds? Ask my wife. Never. It's probably more like 60 minutes. Mate, you need to calm down. Why don't you go take five? Thanks a million. There are a hundred ways to skin a cat. Let me give you... A course in Life 101. I'm just looking out for number one. See, we use numbers in ways that are not actually mathematical all the time, don't we? We use numbers in ways that are symbolic, that mean something other than just simply a number that is to be counted and added up. And that's especially true when we come to this part of the Bible, Because this part of the Bible is is a particular kind of Jewish literature, a particular kind of way in Jewish culture that you could be speaking. And it's called apocalyptic. And, And here in this kind of language, numbers carry symbolic meanings. Not as an amount to be added up, but as a symbol. Three in the Bible is a number that's often used to describe God's wholeness, his trinity, his completeness. Twelve is a number that talks about perfection and wholeness, and it's often used to talk about the whole of God's people. There were 12 sons of Jacob, 12 tribes, 12 disciples. Seven is a number of perfection as well, of completeness. And and six which is one less than seven, it's not quite perfection, is actually imperfection. It's like a a seven imposter. And 666 is like absolute imperfection. And so if seven is perfection, 70 
is like uber perfection. And so 70 times 7, when Gabriel comes here and delivers God's message to Daniel, it's not talking about 490. Here, 70 times 7 doesn't equal 490. It actually equals ultimately mega, ultra, super duper, uber perfection. Because it's not just 7, it's not just 70, it's 70 times 7. And Jewish minds just blow. They go, that's so absolutely amazingly perfect, nothing can top it. That is what God is saying here. That when the time is absolutely, perfectly, uber complete, when the time is absolutely right, then I'm going to do something amazing then I'm going to do something that makes the end of this 70 years and you going back to Jerusalem makes that look like nothing. See, God is saying to Daniel, you are in this position because of sin. But as we read what Gabriel says there, actually, they will keep on sinning. See, they will keep sinning and fill up the measure of their sin. They haven't finished sinning yet. And God says, I'm not just going to forgive your sin. I'm going to put an end to it forever. I'm not just going to give you back the temple so you can make sacrifices to atone for sin. I am going to atone for sin once and for all time. You, Israel, have failed to be righteous, but I will give you a righteousness that is everlasting. I will bring about the fulfilment, not just of this promise that I made through Jeremiah, I will bring about the fulfilment of every single promise that I have ever made throughout all of history, through all my prophets. And have a look at verse 25, because God gave a clue how he was going to do this. Through his anointed one, verse 25, who would be put to death, verse 26. See, God said to Daniel and to the people of Israel, I won't just give you Jerusalem. I lost my M&M. I won't just give you Jerusalem. I will give you Jesus. Have a look at verse 26. The desolation to end all desolations. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be put to death and have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end. Desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he'll put an end to sacrifice and offering and at the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. See, in Daniel's day, Jerusalem was desolate, destroyed, abandoned, and God forsaken. But God foretold that when his anointed one came to put an end to sin to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, 
he would be put to death. Fast forward. Fast forward almost 400 years to, almost 500 years to the coming of Jesus. And Jesus, in Matthew 24, quotes Daniel 9.27. He says that this abomination that causes desolation is him nailed to a cross, the anointed one, the ruler of Israel, the ruler of heaven on earth, put there by his own people who he came to save and when he cried out my God my God why have you forsaken me that was the abomination that causes desolation that was the darkest day in history that after his resurrection became the brightest day in all history. See, Daniel had asked for forgiveness for sin. And God promised to put an end to sin forever. Daniel had asked to return to Jerusalem. And God promised him Jesus. Friends, I don't know if you have yet come, like Daniel, to bow before Jesus and ask for forgiveness. I don't know if you have yet come to realise just how great and wonderful God's mercy and kindness and love to us in Jesus are. Through Jesus, we have full and complete forgiveness. The end of sin. He took our sin and he has given us his righteousness to all who trust in him. I pray that each of us today will go home, will open again Daniel 9, that every one of us will get on our knees and thank God for his incredible, mind-blowing grace and kindness to us in our Lord Jesus. Amen.